In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We are living in a time when the credentials of the former generation are in a collision with the skills and the connectedness of the emerging generation. A traditional job application might ask you where you went to school, what certifications you have, and what degrees you have completed. This tells them that you know how to do certain things, you can follow directions, minimize risk, very creative activities. But aside from airline pilots and medical doctors and highly skilled professions, these credentials don't tell you if the person can actually do the job. The internet and the new economy has allowed those who might have no formal credentials or no formal education to thrive. It's actually kind of going back to an older model of apprenticeship in our new economy. But you know these people are excellent at what they do because they produce real-world results. It is not because they have a degree or a certification. It is because their passion and their skill radiates from their entire being. This kind of talent is hard to measure. It must be observed over time, not merely listed on a resume or quantified in an interview. The Christian life works in a similar way. We have our credentials, our baptism, our confirmation, and our church attendance, all very good things. And these graces can lead us towards a life of righteousness, but apart from the radiating work of the Spirit alive in our lives and in our hearts, they will not form us to be the children of God that we are called to be. Grace is not there to make us passive, in our life of faith, but grace enables us to respond in good faith as we pick up our cross to follow Jesus. The danger for us as traditional Anglicans is that we make the mistake of isolating the credentials or isolating the sacraments and putting them over in the corner as separate and distinct from a framework of life in the Spirit. We find that it is sometimes easier to reverence the body of Christ at the altar than it is to reverence the body of Christ in the person sitting next to us. But we are called to do both, not just the obvious acts of credentialing, but to love God and our neighbor with our whole being. As Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Yesterday afternoon, some of us had a treat. We went over to UCI, to the Barclay Theater, to see the life of C.S. Lewis play. And it was actually a play that focused on his conversion experience, called The Most Reluctant Convert. You might have assumed that C.S. Lewis, the great Christian thinker, was raised as a Christian, we can maybe say he was raised a nominal Christian. But we learned last night that when C.S. Lewis was confirmed, when he was going to confirmation classes, and when he received his first communion, he said he was doing this as a staunch atheist. He said in his heart, he hated God. But yet, he wanted to get the credentials, 
He didn't want anyone to know what was really going on inside. It was not until almost 20 years later that he had a conversion experience, becoming the most reluctant convert. So the natural question is, how do we know if we are doing the will of the Father? How do we know that we are not talking to a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, or that we might be that wolf? Jesus responds to this, you will know them by their fruits. Do you get grapes from thorn bushes, or do you get figs from thistles? This is similar to the popular proverb, the proof is in the pudding. Now, I've always heard this saying, and I've used it, but I didn't quite know its origins or where it comes from. So, turning to the trusty internet, I, I, I looked this up. And so, the proof is in the pudding is referring to pudding from the English world of sausages, intestines, all those, all those delicious, not, not chocolate pudding, but English pudding. And the saying was, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. In other words, if you want to know if something, if some food is good or not, you have to eat it. You, have to, you just can't look at it, you can't study it, you can't just observe it. You have, to, you have to take it in and eat it. And if we want to know if a teacher or someone is from God, the proof is in the pudding. We need to see some fruit. We need to see a, a life of righteousness. And this is only produced and developed over time not just in a moment of excitement. And this thought is scary for any who serve in Christian leadership. To develop lives that are in step with the Spirit and produce fruits of righteousness, we must begin to take steps towards Christ and reject our evil desires. As today's epistle from Romans tells us, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is what it means to live as members in the kingdom of God, as those who are in step with the Spirit. Our Gospel today from Matthew is actually the closing section, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, which when you look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, it's from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and elsewhere in the Gospels, it gives you a picture of what life is like in the Spirit, or what Matthew calls life in the Kingdom of God. What does life look like in the Kingdom of God? You can read through the Sermon on the Mount, those who are blessed, those who are cursed, warnings. And the very center of the Sermon on the Mount, the focal point, is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is that prayer that those who are members of the Kingdom of God Pray to God with outstretched arms where they cry, Abba, Father. Though the sermon paints a picture of the good life, it closes with stern and harsh warnings, which we read this morning. It's Jesus' way of saying, watch out. Don't fall off the cliff. Don't be lazy in your spiritual life. It is a great admonition as we find ourselves in the middle of summer, in the middle of Trinity. Because the pursuit of holiness always sounds great in Holy Week or on Good Friday, but not so much on the eighth Sunday after Trinity when there's so many other things to do outside than to focus on the spiritual life. The goal of our spiritual life and the goal of our spiritual disciplines 
is transformation, which is not so much found in our credentialing, but rather it is found through apprenticeship, through a life of following Jesus. We are called to follow him, to be students in Jesus' school of prayer. Think of this as a lifetime class of starting and stumbling and falling and getting back up again. In the modern Western world, spiritual formation has a lot to do with how we use our time. It seems that we never have enough time. All the technology and all our luxuries do not give us more time. This is why the silence that we can offer to people in sacred spaces such as our church is a tangible blessing to our culture. I heard an African saying aimed at Americans that says, you have clocks, but we have time. If you want to know what a culture values or what an individual values, you can look at a lot of things, but a sure sign is how someone spends their time. We can only be transformed when we set aside time to work on our life in the spirit, to open up the scriptures, to hear what God is saying to us, to listen to God. The psalm says, be still and know that I am God. Being still is so hard for all of us. We can only be transformed when we realize that spiritual formation encompasses all of our life, not just those things we deem spiritual. Jesus' school of prayer starts today. It starts on Sunday and it ends on Sunday, the first and last day of the week. Setting aside Sunday is another way we use our time. It is one way we can be intentional about following Christ. In the church on Sunday, we come to the altar to confess that we have fallen short in thought, word, and deed, and we experience again the grace of forgiveness. At the altar, we offer God's gifts to us back to Him in the Eucharist, and we offer ourselves back to God so that we might become a living sacrifice. The high point of our liturgical worship is also the high point of the Sermon on the Mount. I challenge you later to, to look at the Sermon on the Mount and look for the dead center. When we are faced with the daunting task of receiving the sacrifice of Christ, and when we are faced with the daunting task of living life in the Spirit, there's only one thing we can do. It is to stop and to pray daily, our Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.